Hello, my friends, and welcome again to the Bible Lab, the podcast where we explore major themes from every book of the Bible and we see how each page points it to Jesus, who he is, and what he's done. I'm your host, Andy Wood. Thank you for joining me, friends. We are looking at the book of Isaiah, and we've looked at how Isaiah depicts Yahweh as holy and our Redeemer. We've looked at what Isaiah has to say about our sin, particularly the sins of pride and unbelief. And so now we're asking the question, how should I respond to this text? And that brings us to our third theme in Isaiah. The author of Isaiah called people to trust God. Now, it's obviously difficult to trust in a God that you can't see with your eyes when times are good. It's even more difficult to trust in a God you can't see with your eyes in times of difficulty. It's hard for us today, and it was hard for them back then. And this is the very challenge the people of Judah were facing. Were they going to trust God or trust something else? First, they were put to the test of would they trust God in times of war? Now, Jesus tells us in Matthew 10, 28, don't fear those who kill the body but can't kill the soul. That's a poetic way of saying they'll be, fear, they'll be afraid of people. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Fear the Lord. Don't fear man. Fear the Lord. And this is the very point at which Isaiah's audience failed. Now, during the reign of Ahaz, one of the most wicked kings uh, from the family of David, Assyria, the dominant world power of the time, they were beginning to, to wane in influence. They were starting to show, get a little weak, some cracks were forming, and all these smaller kingdoms that they ruled over began to look at Assyria, look at their own armies, and think, I think we can get out from under their thumb. So up north from Judah, Syria, not Assyria, Syria and Israel formed an alliance. And they invited Judah to form this alliance. They're basically, let's, uh, let's form the, the greater Mediterranean coastal sphere and let's rebel and reject Assyrian authority. Now, this is obviously a very dangerous undertaking. And King Ahaz of Judah wanted nothing to do with it. And so Syria and Israel say, well, let's do this. Let's kill Ahaz and let's put someone on our side on the throne. And then he'll bring the people of Judah on our side. And then we'll have enough men to take down the Assyrians. So Ahaz gets word that Syria and Israel are about to join together. And they're going to come and kill you and put someone else on the throne. And this terrifies Ahaz because on paper, he has no chance against the combined might of Syria and Israel. And in his fear, even though he's a wicked, wicked man, God graciously sends his prophet Isaiah and says, tell Ahaz, trust me. But also warn him, if he doesn't trust me, he's doomed. Isaiah 7, 4 through 9. God says to Isaiah, go say to Ahaz, be careful, be quiet, don't fear. And don't let your heart faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Ramalia. In other words, don't be scared of those kings of Israel and Syria. Don't worry about them. Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. So let's kill Ahaz and put this guy, the son of Tabeel, on the throne. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand. It shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you're not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. However, Ahaz refuses to trust God, and he sends envoys to the king of Assyria 
basically tattling on Syria and Israel and says, you come and save me. Listen to what he says. This is 2 Kings 16, 7 through 9. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who are attacking me. Ahaz also took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and sent a present to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria listened to him. The king of Assyria marched up against Damascus and took it, carrying its people captive to Kir, and he killed Rezin. So listen to what he just did. First off, the king of Judah is supposed to be the servant of God and was to think of himself as God's son. But Ahaz says to the king of Assyria, nope, I'm your servant and your son. And notice where Ahaz gets the bribe money. He takes the silver and gold from the temple. And that's what he gives to the king of Assyria. And because of this failure of faith, Isaiah says, all right, the Lord will bring upon you and your people and your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. Assyria rescued Judah from Syria and Israel. Oh, absolutely. But they liked Judah so much, they decided to stay. And they effectively ruled the nation of Judah for the next 100 years. And in fact, if you can remember back to our New Testament historical context episode, this is the beginning of foreign domination of Israel that with the exception of a 60-year brief window, about 100 years before the birth of Jesus, would continue for the next millennium. Like This is the end of the independence of the nation of Judah. They're going to be under the control of the Assyrians, then the Babylonians, then the Persians, then the Greeks, then the Romans, and then they're going to be destroyed from being a people altogether. Ahaz is the turning point. Years later, Ahaz's son Hezekiah is on the throne. And he decides that he doesn't want to bribe the Assyrians any longer, you know, protection money, like in a mafia movie. But yet again, instead of trusting in Yahweh, Hezekiah attempts to form an alliance with Egypt and then attempts to form an alliance with Babylon. And every time he does this, you can almost hear God shaking his head. Isaiah 31 through 5, Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan, but not mine, who make an alliance, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore shall the protection of Pharaoh turn to your shame and the shelter in the shadow of Egypt to your humiliation. God's saying, this is not my plan. Trust in me. I, you, you take shelter in the shadow of my wings, not Pharaoh. You are saying to the world that my God can't be trusted. My God doesn't protect his people. And that's a lie and a blasphemy against the holiness of our God. Isaiah called for Hezekiah and for all of us to trust God. Isaiah 31.1, Woe to those who go down to Egypt. Woe to those who do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. Judah needed to repent for their lack of faith and go back to Yahweh, for he alone can save. Isaiah 31.6-9 says, Turn to him for whom people have deeply revolted, O children of Israel. For in that day, everyone shall cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which your hands have sinfully made for you. And the Assyrian shall fall by a sword, not of man, and a sword, not of man, shall devour him. And he shall flee from the sword, and his young men shall be put to forced labor. God says, I'm going to rescue you, but not by means of the Assyrians or the Babylonians or the Egyptians. I am going to rescue you. Because as Isaiah 43.11 says so beautifully, I, I am the Lord, and besides me, there is no Savior. Isaiah shows Judah how they should see all the other nations. 
and Isaiah 40, 15 and 17, God says the nations like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Like if you took all the strength of God on one side and all the strength of the nations on the other side of the scales, the nations are, are weightless. They have nothing compared to the power of God. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are counted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. Hezekiah doesn't learn his lesson. At least he doesn't learn his lesson until Assyria invades and conquers and destroys all of Judah except for Jerusalem. And in that moment of desperation, Hezekiah finally got it. He went to the temple and prayed. Isaiah 37, 20. So now, O Lord our God, save us from the hand of the king of Assyria, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. And we read this in Isaiah 37, verse 36. And the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. It's no wonder with stories like that in the Bible that Paul could say in Romans 8.31, If God is for us, who can be against us? So Judah was to trust God in times of war, and they were to trust God instead of idols. Now an idol, you'll hear it defined many different ways. Just for our purposes today, let's say an idol is anything other than Yahweh that you find ultimate meaning and satisfaction in. The worship of idols had long been a problem, well, for all of mankind, but particularly for the people of Judah. But they became a crippling issue during Ahaz's reign. We read this in 2 Kings 16, 1 through 4. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Ramalia, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God, as his father David had done, but he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. He even burned his son as an offering according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. And as we know from our study of Judges and Samuel and Kings, as the king goes, so goes the nations. And we read about in Isaiah, the people beginning to worship idols and to begin to practice occult practices and, and visit fortune tellers and necromancers. And thankfully, Ahaz's son Hezekiah comes to power. And the first thing that we read about him doing is repairing the temple, destroying the idols, leading people in the worship of God. And all this happens because as we're told in 2 Kings 18 verse 5, he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. Isaiah also pointed out to his readers that not only is idolatry sinful and wrong, but it's stupid. Now, I'm not going to read this whole passage to you for the sake of time, but you should go read Isaiah 44. As Isaiah, he kind of writes out this scene of how an idol gets made and shows just how dumb it is. He describes someone going into the woods, chopping down a tree, dragging it back into their house taking half of that tree and you know cutting up into logs for firewood and throwing it on to the fire to keep yourself warm. And then meanwhile, you take the other half of this tree that you cut down and you begin to whittle it and carve it and, and shape it and fashion it into a god. You know, middle of the day, you're kind of hungry, so you, you make some bread and you bake it over the, the half of the tree that's burning. And then after you, you have your little snack, you go and you finish up your idol that you just made from the same piece of wood that you just baked your lunch on, and then you bow down in front of it and cry out to it to you to save you. 
It's stupid. It's stupid. Idols know nothing. As it says in Isaiah 41, 21 through 24, God's like challenging the idols to like a trivia contest. He says, set forth your case. Bring your proofs. Let them bring them. And let your idols tell us what is to happen. Tell us the future. And if that's too hard, tell us the former things. Right? You know, pick one. Either tell us what's happened in the past, or if you're really feeling froggy today, tell us what's going to happen tomorrow. But God knows they can't do that. He says, behold, you are nothing, and your work is less than nothing, and an abomination is he who chooses you. Idols know nothing, and idols cannot save. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols. They keep on praying to a God that cannot save. In contrast to the idols, Yahweh is incomparable. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? God made the stars. He is greater than we can possibly imagine. He is greater than any idol we can fashion. He is supreme above all, above all spiritual forces, human forces, military forces, natural forces. He is the supreme King of kings and Lord of lords. He knows all the creatures. He made the stars in the heavens. He brings them out. He calls them by name. He puts kings on their thrones and casts them down. He knows every single one of us. And he knows the future because he wrote the future. And just to show off a little bit, Yahweh, remember, while Isaiah is prophesying, Assyria is the dominant power. Assyria is going to be replaced one day by Babylon. And then Babylon will be replaced by Persia. But this Persian replacement of Babylon is going to happen about 200 years in the future. And Isaiah, the spirit speaking through Isaiah, rather, not only says that Persia is going to conquer Babylon, But let me tell you the name of the Persian king. It's going to be Cyrus. 200 years in the future, God's calling his shot. God says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and he shall fulfill all my purpose. Thus is the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, the king whose hand I've grasped to subdue nations before him and to loose the belt of kings. God knows the future. He is the beginning and the end and wonder of wonders, my friends. God delights in caring for us. Isaiah 40, 29 through 31. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And that's why God is the only Savior. Why trust in idols? I'm not just speaking that to you, friends. I'm saying that to myself. Why do I trust in idols? Idols fail. They can't do anything but fail. And we must all, on a daily basis, search our hearts. Ask God to search your heart. Search me and know me. And this is the prayer of Psalm 19. This is the prayer of Psalm 139. Search me, know me, show me my heart, show me. As John Calvin said, our heart is a idol factory, just all day long, seeking to draw our affections away from God and connect them to people or things or accomplishments. Ask God to search your heart, show your your idols, and smash them into dust. Now, another great question to ask of Scripture, after asking, what does it tell me about God? What does it tell me about myself? How should I respond? Is, what does this tell me about Jesus? And though Jesus' name isn't mentioned in the book of Isaiah, 
I would argue that Isaiah gives us one of the clearest pictures of who Jesus is and what he came to do, not just in the Old Testament, but in the entire Bible. And Lord willing, that's what we'll discuss in our next episode. But for now, take up and read. God bless.